It is the breakfast show here on Faith FM, Encounter with God section, where we're going to get into our Bible study. And Adam was with us just here a moment ago. Text message coming through for, for him. It says, the prodigal son, great story. God surely tested his resolve. May God bless you, Adam, and guide you in these last days. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Amen. And great having him but in yeah, the studio. Yeah, he was like, oh, you know, I don't know about that. Like, you know, prodigal son, like, is Newcastle that good? And then he says he's from DCWA. <laughs> I think he enjoyed himself over there. Okay, um, before we get to our quiz, we've had a special request come through that we are going to take notice of, uh-huh. and that is to pray for the flood victims yes. and the Ukrainian people and the Russian people. Sure. So let's do that. Father in heaven, this morning we just pray in a special way that you will be with all of the flood victims uh, here in Australia right now. Uh, We think of those who have suffered already and those who potentially will suffer as the rains continue. We pray that you'll take the rains away. We pray that you will give us relief in this country. We commit this situation to you. We pray that whatever happens, that it will be used for your glory and honour. And we pray that in the midst of uh, this suffering and pain and loss, that people will turn to you. We think the same for Russia and the Ukraine as well. We pray for the people of both countries because the people of both countries are suffering. It is the political leaders that go to war and the people that suffer. And so, Father, we pray that you will be with the political leaders to change their hearts for them to be able to find some way to find peace. We particularly pray for Putin, who is the aggressor in this case, and we just pray that you will change his heart somehow to pull out of the Ukraine and to find a diplomatic solution to what is happening there. Father, we ask that you'll be with the, uh, the, the people in a special way, particularly those who have lost loved ones and those who are suffering at this time, that you'll be close to them, that you will help them, each one, to realise that you are there, that you are there for them and that you'll give them comfort in their hour of need and that you will save lives wherever lives can be saved. And so we commit this uh, whole situation to you at this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. 400-pointer. Go for it, Lawson. After Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what was Satan's first temptation? So, yeah, after Jesus fasted in the wilderness, what was Satan's first temptation? Uh, 0491-064-669 is the number to call. If you know the answer for 500 points, you can win a book from our selection of bargain books. Uh, but yeah, that's right. Again, guys, after Jesus was, you know, fasting in the wilderness, what was Satan's first temptation? 0491-064-669. Fantastic stuff. Well, let's go to some uh, text messages of the day and let's see what we've got right here. Uh, back, going all the way back to the story about Elon Musk, considering all the false news out there, I wonder if they would be better off without the internet. Unfortunately, <laughs> we now all we now all feel completely lost without technology. Wars are planned, and unfortunately, the civil population is always the one who suffers the most. Okay, okay. and this is this is this is this is this is an interesting one because I mean, you and I have been seeing so many reports. Uh-huh. Which ones do you believe? Uh, I'm just going to respond to this text message by saying. Is the existence of fake news, like, is such a limiting factor that you would, like, forego telecommunication completely because of it? No, absolutely not. So, I'm, like, I'm kind of, like, look, I see what you're saying, but, like, yes. people, you know, like, or internet also gives you the ability to text people on WhatsApp. So, like, <laughs> and know if any terrible things are going to happen and reach out to family and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I t- we totally get what you're saying. It's like, yeah, t- technology in many ways is such a burden to us. But in that specific instance, they probably need it. 
I don't think many Ukrainians are jumping on Twitter right now to like start Twitter beefs over fake news. You know, they're like, they're trying to flee the country. So yeah, fair enough. Thank you for the text though. Okay. Uh, says here, I wonder if they can do anything about the, oh, this would be about plastics, I guess, and getting mm. rid of single use plastics. I wonder if they can do anything about the floating island made of plastic in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, that would be fantastic. That's right. So, so they are working on it. As I shared, right? Yes. All you have to do is chuck this zinc catalyst and methanol in the ocean, and then all the plastic will melt. That, that's like the melt. single worst idea ever. So uh, that was that was kind a joke. Of, kind of wondering but what else could, might melt. You could collect that plastic and then melt it and yeah. then repurpose it. So that's that's the positive thing. Yep. Anyway, mm. cure of cancers. Now that is good news. For thirty years, I've heard of so many cures for cancer that have actually worked and are working, but clinics were closed by the authorities. Uh, Pharmaceutical companies have much to answer for. A very good friend of mine was given three months to live, cured by natural remedies, and guessed 20 years later, oh, and and I think it should say died 20 years later by car accident at the age of 80 plus. Wow. Uh, Another another lady next to him was cured of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And then on dilation abortions, just barbaric to say the least. Well done of the Attorney General, the power of one. Standing in the gap, standing in the breach. Yeah. The NFL coach fired for praying. Demonic powers never sleep. 80% of Americans believe in God. The silent majority has been silenced by the leaders who worship another God. I wonder what does it take for a population to say enough is enough. Yeah. You know, this guy was fired for just saying his own private prayer. Mm. He's not like NFL either, which is like the, the top level. He's just like a high school dude. High school football is pretty big in the States. Oh, like I know it's I know it's big, yeah. but it's not like the NFL. It's no, just, no. Like, but even still. Yeah. Is there a law anywhere that says a person can't pray in public? Yeah, when we, when we went to break, I'm like, isn't that illegal to fire someone for that? I like, would think so. Like, like a HR, like a HR can't fire someone for that in Australia. I would think so. Well, I probably can in Australia. We don't have much protection in this country. No, but, but, but even like because like but the they Fair have this Work thing in Act, America called the First Amendment. Yeah, they have the First Amendment, but I mean specifically in the circumstance of like job security, like we have the uh, the Fair Work Act, and religion is like one of those protected clauses. Yeah, eighty six percent of the Philippines population is Roman Catholic. Six percent belong to Christian cults, and two percent belong to Protestant denominations. There you go. Mm. Uh, let me see here. All right, that's it. That's what we've got for text messages this morning. Thank you. We do like to hear from our listeners. And as we get into our Bible study now, we would love to hear your thoughts on the Bible study, so please do send them through. Uh, we, You can call or you can text uh, 0491-064-669. If you've got a, a question that you would like to send through for question of the day, just label it question of the day and send it through. We get the most interesting questions coming through here. I'm always interested to hear what you guys have come up with. So do send us through your questions of the day here on The Breakfast Show. Mm. All right, uh, let's get into our Bible study. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. Yes. Okay, so let's, let's as, as we begin our Bible study today, let's think about this for a moment. Let's say that you're Paul. Let's say you're writing the book of Hebrews. Let's say you're writing to Jewish people. And Jewish people are very passionate about their sacrifice sacrificial system, about their sanctuary, about their temple and everything that is involved with it. And it's kind of their life. You know, everything they do revolves around their religion and the practice of their religion. And what you want to do is now encourage them to become 
Christians mm-hmm. to move away from one religion into another religion. And so to do so, one of the things you're going to do is, you know, uh, the benefits of one versus the benefits of another. Somehow you need to show that the Jewish religion has served its time and served it well, but it was not without faults. Mm. It was not complete until Jesus came along and established the Christian religion, which now makes the Jewish religion complete. Mm. So that's what you're going to try and accomplish. And, of course, at the centre of the Jewish religion is their system of sacrifices. You know, for a Jewish person, how do you live without sacrifices? And this is so important to the Jewish people. And suddenly you've got to convince them not to be doing sacrifices anymore and to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Mm. So how would you go about pointing out the weakness of the sacrifices? Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's almost, it's so offensive. It's just like. Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? It's like, oh, so these, these festivals that represent your entire history and the sacrifice that represents like God's ability to free you from your sin. Uh, Yeah, just throw it in the bin. Okay, but somehow you've got to come up with a good theological argument to do that. Yes. You've got to have evidence for that. Mm. You've got to have a rational reason why these sacrifices aren't the solution. Mm-hmm. They are a solution for a time, but they're not the solution. And, and now you've got to present, okay, this is the solution, which has now superseded that solution and is so much better. And if we talk about Hebrews chapter 10, like that's exactly what Paul is going to attempt to do. That's, that's, that, <laughs> this, he's been building up to it all the way through and he just keeps chipping away. Mm. And Hebrews chapter 10, he is certainly going to get there and dig into it. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Read the first three verses, please, Lawson. The Bible says in verse 1, The old system of law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not a good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide cleansing for those who came to worship. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's stop there for a moment. That's a good place to stop. Uh-huh. So Paul's come out with a pretty big statement right mm. here. And basically what he said is like, look, all of your systems of uh, sacrifice and so forth, they're just a shadow. Mm. Now, for us, we get that, we understand that, we appreciate that, um, we, we we totally respect what Paul is saying and so forth. It's like, yeah, they're a shadow. Uh-huh. But for a Jewish person, that's a little bit insulting. Yeah. Because for a Jewish person, it's like, no, they're not a shadow, they're everything. Yeah. You know, they're full of life and colour and action and movement and, you know, everything is taking place in those sacrifices and you're saying that there's a shadow? And particularly at this time, you know, we we theorise, uh, we're basically pretty much convinced that the book of Hebrews was written before AD 70 uh, because oh, it yes. doesn't talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. That's so right. it was written before the destruction of yes. Jerusalem uh, because this was like one of the biggest events in Jewish history. And you so couldn't write the book of Hebrews after the temple was destroyed without mentioning the fact that there is no temple anymore. That's right. 
So where we understand that he's writing this at a time and to people who can look out their window in Jerusalem and see, you know, one of the biggest, most beautiful wonders of the ancient world. You know, it's not quite Solomon's temple, but it's still a big epic temple that was surrounded by Roman guard because of how much money that it made. Like there was a, the, there was a massive Roman second, occupation. Second biggest economy in the world. That's right. They're seeing it's the pride of their nation. What takes place in that temple? What takes place on those days of service? Like it attracts people from all around the world. It is something that would immensely boost their economy. You know, it that was their that was their identity as yes. Jewish people. Not only like in and of themselves, it's not something that they just you know like you know uh, families have family tradition. That's a part of their idea. This is a family tradition. This is this is international, national and international tradition that they were known by. And then it's like, oh yeah, it's like it's it's a shadow. Pointing forward to to it's a it's a shadow that was created you know uh, during the era of Moses that actually we don't need anymore. Okay, so if you're going to make a statement that big, you're going to have to come up with something rational and obvious to the listeners as to the reality of that. Yeah, that, that's that, right. That's actually the case. You're gonna have to supplement that claim with evidence. Yes. Mm. All right, so you're going to have to give some evidence. All right, so let's let's keep reading and let's see what evidence Paul comes up with. In verse 2 it says, If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Okay, so Paul says this. He says, look, they're just a shadow. Mm-hmm. They're not that great, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of insulting for the Jewish people. And he's like, but here's the reason, because they're sitting thinking, no, they're not a shadow. These are amazing. This is what we this is what we do. This is our this is our culture. This is our religion. This is our life. Mm. What do you mean they're a shadow? And Paul's like, well, um, there is this thing that you have to keep doing them all the time. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah, if it's so great, why can't you just do it once? If it made you perfect, you don't need to do it once. You never need mm. to go back again. But because it does not make you perfect, you need to do it all the time. Wow. And so what you need is a sacrifice that will make you perfect. This one clearly does not, mm-hmm. simply by the fact that you've do, you, you do it more than once. And there is absolute rational evidence that you cannot deny that this sacrifice is imperfect. And, like, clearly for Paul, like, it's, it's evidenced by the fact of, like, the behavior and trajectory of the Jewish nation themselves. It's like, oh, yeah, if this sacrifice is able to make you perfect and, you know, change your life and, uh, you know, why have you been captives in Babylon? Why have you been continuously unfaithful why, why, to God? Why are you now ruled by the Romans? Yeah, that's right. And that's that's the point that he's making in the previous chapters, right, is that, oh, you made a covenant with God and didn't keep in it. Like, like and what was a big part of this covenant? These sacrifices, like, yes. to ultimately prove that, oh, yeah, like, we can we can be cleansed, we can, we can be changed in it of our own strength and it's like well clearly it's not working for you so let's get rid of it absolutely mm. and it's interesting how you know you look at at how israel was ruled by you know babylonians babylonians persians yeah. greeks romans yeah. etc uh they did not have their own theocracy through that whole period mm. and then god changes the model of the church and it ceases to be a nation mm. so it can't be ruled by other nations anymore. That's right. It's something that lives in the heart. And this mm. is Paul's whole argument. And if you go back to chapter eight, you know, I'll take my laws, I'll write them on your write them on your mind, write them on your heart, write them in your mind, um, and, and so that they become a part of you. Mm-hmm. So that this is not something where, you know, another nation comes in and takes over because this is what will make you 
Mm. Perfect. So if you're a Jewish person, now you're at a point it's like, okay, all right, how do you argue against this? Mm. Paul says they won't make you perfect. This is not a great system. Mm -hmm. There's a much better system out Mm -hmm. there. Your initial reaction is like, no, this is the greatest system on the planet. And Paul's like, well, if it was, then why do you keep doing it? Mm. If it didn't work, you know, if it worked the first time you sacrificed a lamb, why do you come back and sacrifice another one? Clearly the first one didn't work. Why do you sacrifice them all the time? Because none of them work. How are you going to argue against that? You know, Paul has, Paul has brought up a very, very powerful rational argument right mm. here. And it's not for the purpose of smashing these guys. It's for the purpose of pointing them to Jesus who can make them perfect. Yeah, that's right. And wash them in his blood. All right. Did we have uh, verse 3? It says, But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. So this is interesting. Uh huh. The Bible says that, you know, if if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins mm-hmm. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that God will forget our sins, that he will remember them no more. Mm. And of course, God has the power to do that. And Paul points out the fact here that, you know, while ever they're doing these sacrifices, they're constantly being reminded of their sins. Mm. So what's the implication of that? The implication of that is that we shouldn't be going back and dwelling on our sins. Mm. We should be praising God that we have been forgiven. We should be praising God for his grace rather than dwelling on the fact that, well, I did this and I did that and I did the other. Mm. And every time that sacrifice comes around, what are you reminded of? You're reminded of you're reminded of your sin. And I think that becomes even clearer, like, because it's like, okay, if I'm reminded of my sin, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because it turns me to God, it turns me to repentance. But the, I think the point, the reason why Paul says this is because then in verse four, it says, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And it's like, so you're doing a service that doesn't even take away sins that ultimately just reminds you that you are a sinner. That, that's, that's the, yep. that's the point. It, it It is continual reminder that this doesn't actually work. Yeah. Every time you bring another sacrifice, it is stating the fact it doesn't work. Mm. And, of course, what he's building up to is to create this whole contrast between this and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ mm. because when God dies, then that does work mm. because it's a very different kind of a sacrifice. Uh, let me see here. Why don't we read uh, verse 5, 6, and 7? Yeah, let's read these ones. Uh, in 5, 6, and 7, the Bible says, That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings of sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the Scriptures uh, about me in the scriptures. Thank you. Okay, so let's let's go down through the through these verses right here and break it down a little bit. The Bible says, "Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you have given me." Mm. Well, what's the what's the Bible talking about here? What does it mean, a body you have given me? Well, I think this is this is talking about like the incarnation of Christ, right? Yes, like that he goes from you know a, a 
God. Like, yes. he goes from being God, which is, you know, a very spiritual being, and then Christ kind of function within the framework of God, and the Godhead is that he meets with people and shows up and talks to them and tells them things, and there are multiple people who've seen him before, like Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and Ezekiel and all these dudes, um, but then he just becomes a literal man. Like, from being God, like, while still being God, he becomes an actual person that lives and breathes and grows and cries as a child um, and all those kinds of things. Like, he, he comes into the world. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All here on The Breakfast Show, we're getting to the next section of our Bible study. Before we do, we have the big one, the 500-pointer. Let's see if you can figure it out. We've got a book to give away. We're going to... Gonna keep trying until somebody wins it. All right, for five hundred points, what was the name of Judah's first son? It's a pretty straightforward question, guys. Like simple, simple question. What was the name of Judah's first son? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer, and you can win the Revive Cafe Cookbook, specifically uh, Volume Seven, which uh, was you know admitted by the author Jeremy Dixon to be the best one. This is uh, from you know amazing recipes out of uh, Auckland's healthy food haven, the cafe, the Rive cafes they've got set up over there. But this is plant-based, tastes good, amazing food. I have a number of these cookbooks and I cook from them and it's fantastic. They're easy but really delicious. Um, 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. Absolutely. And, of course, we want to remind all of our listeners, if you're someone who goes to church once a week, test yourself. Mm-hmm. See if you can answer these questions without looking it up. If you are not somebody who goes to church once a week, then go look it up. We Mm. encourage you to read the Bible. We like to encourage people to read the Bible every day of their lives. All right, let's go to uh, some text messages here. Praying always brings us together. Freco says this one, Mm. and so it does. We need to be praying, particularly for the crazy things that are happening in our world right now. Uh, Raphael says, I was a Catholic for half my life, like the Jews, strong in customs, not in doctrine. But when you fall in love with Jesus and his word, all customs become useless and you see it for what they are. The Catholic Church still sacrifices Jesus in the daily mass. For the Jews, God had to destroy the temple and disperse the nation for almost 2,000 years. And now the Jewish priesthood want to rebuild the temple and restart the sacrificial system. Will they ever learn? And this is an interesting point because when you look at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it does build a very strong case against the mass. Mm. Because the Mass is a daily sacrifice. And the Bible says you know, that there is not a daily sacrifice. And the reason I say this, many of our listeners might not actually understand this, and our Roman Catholic friends, um, I'm sure you can confirm this, but in the Mass, in, in the Roman Catholic Mass, what happens is that in the wafer itself, it is supernaturally changed into the body of Christ and then eaten. So you're not actually Mm. eating a wafer, you're actually eating the body of Christ. And so the sacrifice is being made literally as you literally eat the body of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. Lutheranism has a version that is called consubstantiation, uh, which is similar but different. Mm. But it continues the sacrifice of Jesus. And Paul, is his whole argument here is, in Hebrews chapter 10 is that if 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 a sacrifice needs to be repeated it is not perfect. Mm. 
If you need to do the same thing again, then there was something wrong with it. It's not perfect. Mm. So that's a really um, a very insightful point there from somebody who was a Roman Catholic, and uh, I was never a part of that church and don't, don't have that uh, particular insight. But I'd encourage all of our Roman Catholic listeners this morning to stop and think about that for a moment. You know, when you go to Mass and when you um, take the wafer, is that literally the body of Christ or is it a symbol of the body of Christ? You know, we, we, we can look at this as being a symbol of the body of Christ and Jesus is only being sacrificed once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is Jesus is only dying once, and that one single death on Calvary is all that is needed because Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the ruler and creator of mankind, and his sacrifice is good enough for all time. Mm. And so you've got, you've got two options. You can take that as the literal body of Christ, or you can take it as a symbol. I encourage you all to take it as a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jesus intended. That's why Jesus said, My flesh profits Nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Yeah, because Jesus says to the disciples, you know, uh, uh, in fact, we can, let, let's, let's actually read this because it goes really well with this, um, this thought that um, Raphael's brought up right there. Let's go to uh, Gospel of John, chapter 6. Yeah, sure. The book of John and chapter 6, which verse will we read? Uh, let's read verse 54. In John chapter 6 and verse 54, the Bible says, But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise that person up at the last day. Okay, so Jesus turns to his disciples and the people gathered there and says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have eternal life. If you do eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. I will raise you at the last day. Mm. That's a bit of a confusing thing to say, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Like... Without context and without a foreknowledge of, you know, Christian symbology and just being like, yeah, just eat my flesh and drink my blood, like, you'll be sweet. Like, and, and without actually understanding the cross. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus makes this statement. How did the disciples react in verse 60? Uh, in verse 60, many of your disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Exactly. You know, Because is- if, if I came to you and said, look, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd be like, no. Yeah. Just no. The disciples Never are going to happen. The disciples are trying to be like evangelists at this point. Yes, they're like trying to get out there, you know, do this work, share the word, share, the, share the word, you know, promote their their new sect of Judaism because they believe they have the truth. And then the leader of that sect, Jesus, is like, "Yeah, eat my flesh and drink my blood." <laughs> like, uh, are you sure about that, Jesus? Like, and there's a whole bunch of disciples at this particular point that are like, "Nah, we're out." Like, and they're like, "This is nuts. This is." This is too anti-Jewish for us. Yes. Yeah. So Jesus explains exactly what he means by Mm. eat my flesh and drink my blood. Notice the explanation in verse 63. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Let me read it from my translation because it directly addresses the issue of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of the Mm. son of, of, of Jesus Christ. It says, it is the spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Nothing. This is the key idea here. What does the Bible say? The Bible says the flesh profits nothing. What is Jesus saying? My literal body will profit you nothing. Mm. There is nothing you can gain by eating 
my literal body. Nothing to be gained by that. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So then where is there something to gain? There is something to gain in the words of Jesus. Mm. Where do we find the words of Jesus? In the Bible. From Genesis 1, verse 1, through to Revelation 22 and verse whatever that is, the last one. The 22 or 23 or something? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, the last verse of Revelation. Right the way through, these are the words of Jesus. Yeah. And so rather than eating the flesh of the Son of God, we should be listening to the words of the Son of God. Yeah. And that's what he actually means. He's explaining himself. Look, I didn't mean you guys to become cannibals. Mm. Don't go and become cannibals. Mm-hmm. Take my body as a symbol, mm. not as a reality. If you're taking it as the reality, you've missed the point. Mm. So encourage our Catholic friends, as if, you, if you're going to Mass today, take that as a symbol of Jesus Christ rather than the reality of Jesus Christ because this is what Jesus is really wanting to explain to us and this is what he really wants us to understand uh, about what he's doing. The sacrifice of Jesus does not need to be made more than once. It does not need to be made over and over again. The sacrifice of Jesus is good enough mm. to be once. Jesus doesn't have to die every day, doesn't have to die in every Mass, none of that. The weakness of the Jewish system was that their sacrifice had to die every day. Let's not transfer that weakness across to Christianity with a daily sacrifice and let's rely on the one single sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back to Faith FM. We are continuing on with our show. We don't have any quiz questions left because we've answered them all. Uh, so, Well, we've given them all, and now we'll tell you the answer. So for 100 points, the answer was able for 200, hip for 300, famine for 400, stoned bread, and for 500, what was the name of Judah's first son? His name was Ur. But right now it is time for... Question of the Day! We've got a uh, you know a, a feature from one of the Shuttleworth brothers in there, but our question of the day today is simply this: Lyle, uh, it comes from Bruce, and Bruce asks, "Why didn't Jesus baptize people?" Okay, so this is an interesting verse, an interesting thought right here, because if we go to uh, John three and verse twenty-two, the Bible says, "After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them." And baptized. Well, John 3 verse 22 says that Jesus was baptizing. However, if you go over the page or a little bit further down the page to chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. So what was taking place here was that Jesus was overseeing the baptism. And I've been to baptisms like this. Uh, we went to a very large baptism one time. I was a part of that baptism. I was in, uh, in, in a large swimming pool, lots of people being baptized. And there was one pastor who was standing on the edge of the pool who was officiating the baptism. And, you know, he was, you know, saying the word, so to speak. And we would do the baptizing and we baptized, you know, 200 odd people that day. Very, very exciting day. Um, and it was, yeah, just a huge blessing to be a part of. 
The Bible says here that this is what this is something similar to what Jesus was doing. Jesus himself wasn't doing the baptizing. And so the question is, well, why? Now, there are probably a number of different reasons as to why Jesus himself wasn't doing the baptizing. He was overseeing it. His disciples were doing the baptizing. I think there's some great object lessons here. And if you've got some more object lessons that you would like to share from it, then please feel free to uh, feel free to share. The first thing that jumps out to my mind is that the disciples who were doing these baptisms, they weren't particularly perfect, were they? I mean, you've got Peter nope. who the Bible says, you know, later on, you know, Jesus says to Peter, when you're converted, you know, so Peter wasn't even converted. Uh, then you've got the situation where uh, you've got Judas. Judas was one of the disciples. So Judas is doing baptisms. And so what does this teach us? It teaches us this. When it comes to baptism, the efficacy of that baptism is about your relationship with God, not the righteousness of the person who is doing the baptism. So if we think, for example, of you know a priest in Texas recently where thousands of his baptisms have been nullified because he said one word wrong when he did the baptism, uh, this is Jesus is saying this is not what it's about. Uh, and then if you are baptized by somebody and you find out later that that person was a great sinner, they had lots of secret sins, and suddenly all those secret sins come flowing out, does that mean that you then need to go and get rebaptized? Clearly not, because there's no call for, well, okay, everyone who's baptized by Judas, you need to go and get rebaptized. No, baptism is about your connection with God, your personal connection with God, not the connection of the baptizer, their connection with God. So that's one of the things that is illustrated by this. Uh, the second thing that sort of um, comes up is that it illustrates that baptism isn't the be-all and the end-all of what it means to be a Christian. And so, you know, if Jesus got in there and Jesus did the baptism, he's like, yep, you're a Christian now, I've baptized you, uh, it's done, sealed and delivered. No, it's more than just baptism. Baptism involves walking with God, a life with God. It involves more than just that one act. And if Jesus was doing the baptism, and if you were baptized by Jesus himself, you would kind of, there would be the temptation to think, well, you know, I've arrived, I've accomplished it, I've done it. You know, what else uh, needs to be done? And it would be too easy to rely on an outward act where God is saying, you know, the whole thing that is being illustrated right here is this is an inward act, this is an inward connection between God. It's certainly an outward illustration of an inward act. But, you know, it's just like marriage. People commit to each other, but there's an outward illustration of that in the in the wedding ceremony. Uh, and this is the same with baptism. It is all about your personal connection with God and nothing more than that. Um, and so we need to remember this with baptism. And we also need to remember that Jesus here is establishing something that he is illustrating. This is for the believers. This is going to be passed under the church. This is what they are to practice. And the Bible says that we are to go out and lead people to Jesus, make disciples of all nations, and that we are to baptize them. Jesus gives us this precedent. Here on The Breakfast Show, we've come to the end of our show. Tazzy Encounters is about to begin uh, great show down there led by Jason Cook and his team, so stay tuned, don't go anywhere. Okay, and of course we'd like to encourage you all to uh, join a small group somewhere. Yeah, totally. How many small groups are you a part of? Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a part of one, like yep. one like kind of one small group that has about 16 people, so it's not like that That's small. That's not a small group. It's pretty, but then I'm, like I'm facilitating small group Bible study pretty much every day of the week. 
Okay, so it's about seven days a week. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, five, five, you know, Sunday is like the one day where I, I hang out with my small group people, but for, <laughs> for, for, through the weekdays, it's, yeah, five days a week. If you would like to find a small group Bible study somewhere in your area, give us a call here on 0491-064-669 and we'll find one for you right now. Don't forget to talk faith, live faith, and act faith. You will grow strong in Jesus. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.